What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Good afternoon, evening, or morning. This is your old Uncle Mosh with Raiders Fan Radio, and you are in for a treat. Sit back and get ready to listen to one of the most insanely knowledgeable people you will ever meet talk about our beloved Raiders. Another episode coming your way of Silver and Black Flashback by Rich Schmelter, the author of the Raiders Encyclopedia. Thank you, Uncle Mosh, as always, for that awesome intro to Silver and Black Flashback. I hope to keep on earning that praise you give me. And never to be left out is my man Murph, the host of the greatest Raider podcast out there. Thanks so much for the great opportunity you give me to be a part of Raiders Fan Radio, as well as having the chance to be a part of a network that helps out so many through the One Nation Foundation that benefits Raiders-related charities. And to all my silver and black faithful listening around the world, I am proud as hell to bring you stories of the people and moments that helped make our Raiders history so damn glorious. And with all that being said, why not get on with this, our time together once again on Silver and Black Flashback, where we are not going to pull any punches and hopefully deliver a knockout of a show. All right, probably many, or most listeners, are thinking, what the hell is this guy talking with boxing terms for on a football show? Maybe he enjoyed a bit too much adult beverage before recording. Well, that's not true, my Raider faithful, for I was trying to get creative here. And why is that? Because on this episode, we are going away from the football field and into the boxing ring. That's right, Raider Nation, the boxing ring, with the man self-proclaimed, and rightfully so, as the greatest heavyweight boxer of all time, Muhammad Ali, and his opponent for a 1979 bout, one of professional football's bona fide wild men, Lyle Alzado. Even though this boxing match occurred three years before Alzado's arrival in the Silver and Black Empire, his story, regardless of the location, is ours, Raider Nation. Can I get a hell yeah here? Come on, did Lyle really look good in all that orange of the Broncos and Cleveland Browns? Oh, hell no. The Silver and Black was made for him. The world of boxing was nothing new to our badasses in silver and black. For quite a few of the Raiders climbed into the ring outside of playing football. However, none were as daring to take on the great Muhammad Ali, except for Wild Lyle Alzado. In fact, Lyle was the only athlete ever to take punches from Ali and sack some of the all-time greatest quarterbacks. As a teenager growing up in the New York City area, Lyle had a reputation in Spanish Harlem, Brooklyn, and on Long Island as a wild street fighter. He beat up people, he stole cars, and was known more by the local police than by his own high school teachers. Not only was Lyle Alzado tough in the streets, but in the boxing ring as well. While attending Yankton College in South Dakota, Lyle Alzado fought as an amateur heavyweight in the Golden Gloves boxing tournament 
where he became Omaha, Nebraska region champion. He moved on to the Midwest Golden Gloves Championships, held at City Auditorium in Omaha. He made it all the way to the semifinals, but it was there that he lost to six foot three, two hundred pound Charlie Fox, a junior high high school math and English teacher. Fox connected with a right to Alzado's jaw that dropped him in 45 seconds of the second round. Alzado then left the boxing world with a very impressive 44-1 amateur record. By 1979, Alzado was a 30-year-old star defensive end for the Denver Broncos, coming off a first-team All-Pro season in 1977, second-team All-Pro honors in 1978, and Pro Bowl appearances after both of those seasons. But by 1979, he was locked in a contract dispute with the Broncos. It was claimed that he was making $90,000 annually from the Broncos and wanted $200,000 a year. During this same time, Muhammad Ali was 37 years old and less than a year removed from winning back the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship from Leon Spinks. Ali was retired, at least for the time being, but did fight two five-round exhibition matches in Denmark. After plans for an exhibition bout between Ali and boxer Jimmy Ellis never materialized, it was then that Elzado got a call from Denver boxing promoter Lyle Peterson asking if he would like to fight Muhammad Ali. At first, Elzado thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. He thought this exhibition fight might give him some leverage in the dispute with the Broncos and fuel the fire that he might even be seriously thinking of quitting football and fight professionally. The bout between Ali and Elzado was announced in mid-March of 1979, and a month later, it was reported that Elzado was running three miles a night, lifting weights for three and a half hours a day, and sparring with heavyweight fighter Leroy Jones, all under the watchful eye of trainer Bobby Lewis, who worked with the U.S. Olympic boxing team for the 1972 Munich Olympics. Now, Lyle Elzado did not want to go into the ring and get his head bashed in, but he did feel very honest in saying that he had never been afraid of any man in his life. Ali, on the other hand, puffed up to 235 pounds, did not train, but still had quick feet and hands. Elzado thought that people would flock to see the great Ali in person against a Denver Broncos star who had fought in the Golden Gloves. In fact, he believed in it so much that he mortgaged his house as collateral to cover the promotional costs. The fight was then set for July 14, 1979 at Mile High Stadium in Denver. Ali did come out to Denver a few times to promote ticket sales. And the news conference at the Marriott Hotel two weeks before the fight was a wild event. Chairs were arranged in neat rows, and Ali was going to speak from a podium. But only a few sat in the chairs. Ali was virtually surrounded as he went through his promotional antics that were legendary throughout his career. He took off his coat and then demonstrated the Ali shuffle on stage. He might have been puffy and overweight, but his hands were still fast. He said he might not have been in fighting shape to face Joe Frazier or George Foreman, but he was in good enough shape to fight a football player. He recited a long poem about sending Elzado into orbit, and nobody seemed to mind that he had used most of those lines before. He called himself the greatest thing in the history of the world. He then went through a punching and shoving match with Elzado while the cameras rolled and clicked. I've never heard of you before, he told Elzado, but after this fight, you're going to be known all over the world. I am going to give you a worldwide whipping. 
For a live segment on a noon television show, he insulted Alzado again. But after they were off the air, he asked, did we sell some tickets? Yes, it was all about promotion for Muhammad Ali. And he realized that the way to sell the fight was to emphasize what should have been emphasized from the start, that it should have been treated as a fun and entertaining way to see the legendary Ali and the star local football player both in the ring. However, once in the ring, both men seemed to take things very seriously. On a beautiful, cloudless, sunny Saturday afternoon inside Denver's Mile High Stadium, Lyle Alzado entered the ring wearing white trunks with a red waistband, blue stripes with stars ran along the side of the trunks, and on the bottom of one side of the thigh area was embossed L.A. for his initials. Ali entered with white trunks and a black stripe on each side. The exhibition fight was scheduled for eight rounds, and if there were three knockouts in one round, the fight would be ended. At the opening bell of the first round, Ali charged out and threw a left hook at Alzado's head. He shuffled his feet and connected with a few more punches to Alzado's head. Ali was very aggressive, and Alzado looked a little confused, but did manage to land a few punches himself, especially some good ones in the closing seconds. Ali was a showman and seemed to let Alzado land those punches to keep things interesting. Round two saw Alzado trying to do his best, and Ali picked up the tempo. There were some good punches, and the crowd reacted by cheering for Alzado. The punches did not hurt Ali, but Lyle seemed to be more comfortable in the second round and even got awarded the round to even things up at 1-1 after Ali took the first round scoring. The third round saw Alzado looking more intense, and he even began taunting Ali, and the crowd loved it. He even dodged some Ali punches with quick head movement. By the fourth round, trainer Bobby Lewis told Alzado not to get angry. He knew Ali was waiting for that to happen and took a more serious approach to the round instead of hamming it up for the crowd. Rounds five through eight saw a lot of jabs and foot movement, but no sensational flurries or knockouts. By the end of the eight rounds, the scoring came out with Ali taking five rounds, Alzado won, and another one ended in a tie. After the fight, Ali praised Alzado and felt that with full-time training, he could be a serious contender for the heavyweight championship. Financially, the bout was a disaster. The broadcasters, Dick Schapp and Sam Nover, said Elzado had hoped to get about 50,000 or 60,000 people to watch the fight inside Mile High Stadium. There were reports that an estimated crowd of 20,000 showed up, but only 11,128 paying fans were in attendance. The fight had made about $209,000, and Ali was guaranteed $250,000. Alzado was supposed to make $100,000, but ended up with nothing. Nine years later, the promoters in Alzado were still fighting it out in a legal battle all the way to the Colorado Supreme Court over money owed. A jury awarded Alzado $92,500, but an appeals court reversed the decision, and the Colorado Supreme Court affirmed that reversal. To make this strange story even stranger, the case is now studied in business law textbooks. There is no definitive word on if Elzado lost his house over the fight. Elzado did eventually report to Denver's training camp right after the fight, but then walked out, claiming again he was considering a boxing career. The Broncos then traded him to the Cleveland Browns in mid-August. 
He'd immediately signed a five-year deal with the Browns, and then after three seasons with them, he became one of our own in 1982, and one year later, helped lead our Raiders to a convincing Super Bowl 18 victory over the Washington Redskins. All right, my Raider faithful, this ends another episode of Silver and Black Flashback. I so love our time together and look forward to sharing many more stories of our beloved Raiders with you. This is the time when I want to give out major respect to Alan V. and Jeff P., two great people I am proud to call my friends. Over this past week, these two guys helped me wrap up a book project on drive-in films. Alan supplied the idea, and the artistic mind of Jeff supplied the artwork for the finishing touch. I will be sharing more about that project in the future as it nears publication. And one more quick comment about my writing projects. The first edition of Championship Diary Series will be coming out very soon, Raider Nation. I had the privilege to share this project with Murph on his show occasionally. And finally, I can say it is almost ready. And the first one is about our Raiders mauling over Washington in Super Bowl 18. And also, respect goes out to Siobhan, a new friend of the show that offered many kind words about the episodes. And finally, I want to send out happy birthday wishes to Caleb. Caleb's dad, Jim P., is mentioned often on the show and is one of the best individuals I know. And now, it looks like there is only one thing left to say. So until the next time we get back together once again, I will close out this show with the words I embrace each and every day. So come on, my Raider faithful, say it with me. Love you, Raider Nation! What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.